Let's pray together and get into Ephesians chapter 6. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Ephesians and the truth that is there. We thank you that our identity is in the fact that we're loved by you, that we're your sons and your daughters. And God, would you teach us how to fight? Would you remind us that we're in a spiritual battle? So by your spirit, would you bless this study and allow your word to have fruit in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. There's three words that sum up the book of Ephesians, and the first is to sit, the fact that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I hope that the first three chapters have really marked our identity, that's reminded us that because of God's grace, we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're beloved, we're we're predestined. Maybe something that might be refreshing to do today is to go back and read the first three chapters. Because it's always a battle to remember my identity is not found in my performance. It's not found in what I possess. It's not found in what other people think about me. It's found in the fact that I'm loved by God. So seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and then that motivates the walk. That we walk worthy of the calling in which God has called us to. Through the same grace that has saved us. That God begins to transform our lives. And the last word is to stand. And when Paul writes his letters, he writes very systematically, very logically. And so once we learn our identity in Christ and we start to walk and the Spirit of God begins to work in our marriages and work in our relationship with our kids and parenting, we begin to reflect a a God-honoring work ethic. What do you think's next? Satan attacks. Satan's not going, oh man, this is so great that they know that their identity is in Christ. This, this is so great that the Spirit of God is, is working in their marriage, that, that the Spirit of God is, is working in, in their homes. And so it makes sense that we need to learn to stand. We need to anticipate the fact that there is going to be a spiritual battle. Don't get discouraged. Maybe the last few weeks, God has been speaking to you in your marriage or speaking to you in your singleness, speaking to you in, in your work life, and you're beginning to see growth from the Lord but you've also probably seen an attack from from the enemy. And the encouraging thing in what we're going to read this morning is we really can live victoriously in Christ. So let's look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The conclusion of the letter. This is what Paul is exhorting us in as he's saying, I want you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is not finding strength in ourselves. This is finding strength in the Lord. We have to come to the end of our own strength to be able to rely upon God's strength. As we attempt to stand against the enemy, it'd be foolish to try to do that in our own effort. In fact, God tells us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. In essence, that his power cannot be poured out into our lives until we first realize that we're weak. So if you feel weak this morning, you're in the right place. If you feel like you're not equipped to be able to stand against the the schemes of the enemy, you're in the right place. But make sure that that moves you towards relying upon God's strength, relying upon his power. Stand in, in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So this is the call. This is what God is, is calling us to through the, through the Holy Spirit, is the strength that the Lord provides. Remember the words of the Holy Spirit to Zechariah saying it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's, that's God's message to us. Here's the means. This is how. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. Sometimes when we hear a phrase like be strong, 
in the Lord, we're like, okay, how do I make that practical? How, how do I really experience God's power? And the means to God's power, how we get into God's power, is through the armor of God. We're to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of, of the enemy. And sometimes when we hear this phrase, put on the, the armor of God, uh, we think of it kind of like putting on clothes in the morning. I want to make sure I've got my, my spiritual armor on, and that's good. But even more so, the word put on means to use. If you're a soldier and you're going into battle, it's not enough to simply be dressed in your armor, right? In fact, it'd be kind of foolish to have your sword, to have your shield, to have your breastplate, and not intend to, to use it. And so for us to, to put it on, it really is to understand these attributes of the armor of God and use it against uh, the enemy. And so that, that's really important as we go through this to say, I want to make sure that I'm using this armor. We're to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles, it, it means schemes. So here's the purpose. We, we have the means, but the purpose is so that we can withstand the enemy's work in our lives. Now we know that Satan has been defeated at the cross, the death and the resurrection of Christ, but God has chosen to allow for him to continue to have influence until the end of times in the book of of Revelation. So he has been defeated, but we will continue to face the enemy, and we have to appropriate the armor of God in order to, to have victory. It's similar to the fact that God gave the promised land to the children of Israel, but they had to go possess it. So God has given us victory over the enemy, but we have to go and possess it. So what are the schemes of the enemy? They're not very complicated because they work so well. Satan in the word and in our lives, he primarily uses three things to deceive us and to get us into despair and discouragement. It's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When Satan came and tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did he use? He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the the pride of life. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, the same three things are used. So we know that that's how Satan is going to come against us as well, to, to try to get us to be tempted to say, look at that, doesn't that look so good? You've got to have that in order to be satisfied in order to be happy. What does Solomon write in Ecclesiastes? He says, the eye is never satisfied. How often if you do get what you long for with your eyes, that as soon as you have it, you've set your perspective on something else. I I gotta have something else, right? So the eye is never gonna be satisfied in its lust. (coughs) Excuse me. It's time for some water. Ah, This looks good, huh? It's the most awkward thing while you're teaching is like, well, I'm just going to drink in front of all of you. But <laughs> it's better than coughing the whole, whole morning. And then the lust of the flesh, what's all that about? It's similar, but it's the cravings of our flesh. It's our internal desires that, that long for more. The pride of life can be really tricky because its ideology is, I care about what people think about me. I want to be respected. And that can really motivate us and lead us down a dangerous path. But the scripture tells us through the armor of God, we're going to be able to withstand the schemes of the enemy, the the wiles of the the devil. 
Verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The war. So here's the war. It's spiritual and it's not physical. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I personally don't think that a a biblical view is to look for Satan under every rock. A lot of times we blame things on Satan that necessarily aren't his work. Sometimes when we make our own sinful choice, it's easy to blame it on Satan. You know, the demon of adultery made me commit sexual sin. No, it wasn't the demon of adultery. It was a sinful choice that resulted in in adultery. Or a trial comes upon someone's life, and it's really easy to say, well, that was Satan. That, That was the enemy. And Jesus told us we live in a fallen world, and rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, having said that, don't discount the fact that there is a real war. And there really is a real spiritual battle, and Satan does roam around looking for who he can devour. In my own life, I'm very slow to wake up to the reality of the spiritual battle. I tend to think about the physical, the practical, what I can see, but yet I'm slow to realize, what's the enemy doing in this? And I need to fight in that spiritual realm. I believe that this is God's heart this morning for us as we study the word, is that some of us have not engaged in the spiritual battle. Maybe because of fear, maybe because of lack of knowledge, maybe for not being equipped, but we're really not fighting in this war. And the war's happening whether we're engaged in it or not. And sometimes there's this idea amongst Christians like where we're kind of scared to enter into the battle because then we might experience more spiritual warfare. Well, gang, you're already in the battle. And if we're not fighting in the battle, we're going to have no ability to be able uh, to stand. So it's God's heart through his word to call us to learn how to fight in this realm so that we can have victory. And taking up the whole armor of God specifically shows us how we can have effective battle in this spiritual warfare. Verse 12 gives us some categories. It says against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So in this spiritual realm, there is demonic activity. And I think by God's grace, he doesn't allow us very often to see into the spiritual realm to see of angels and to see of demons, but it's happening and there's a battle that's taking place in that realm. In scripture, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we have Elijah and his servant and the Syrians are coming against the nation of Israel. And the servant is scared and freaked out and Elisha says this amazing thing. He says, no, the greater is he that's with us than with them. Actually, they're outnumbered. And the servant's like, hey, you didn't do very well in your primary math, did you? Like, we got one plus one is two. And there's this huge multitude of enemy that I can't even count. And Elisha prays that God would open up the eyes of the servant. And God allows Elisha and the servant to see into the spiritual realm. And there's chariots and horses and angels. And then the servant comes to the conclusion, yeah, there's way more with us than are with them. So that spiritual realm is, is taking place. Also, another place in scripture that we see this is in Daniel chapter 10. You may want to write it down and, and look into it. 
Daniel's praying. He's seeking God. He's praying and he's fasting. And God sends Michael on day one to give Daniel a message, but Michael doesn't show up for 21 days. When he does, Michael says that the reason he was delayed is because he was resisting the prince of Persia. Now, Persia today is modern-day Iran. The angel wasn't resisting a physical person, but the demonic realm that was there in, in Persia. There's still a demonic stronghold in Iran to this day. There's still a spiritual darkness that takes place. When you go to different communities, you can see how the enemy works in different ways to try to bring people into bondage. When you go to Salt Lake City, it's very evident. You may not realize this, but Mormonism is a false religion with a false gospel, with a false Jesus that's leading people to hell. It's not Christianity. It doesn't line up with the Bible. They believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They have a works-based salvation. It looks good on the outside, but it's dark on the inside. And you go to the Mormon temple and just stand on the sidewalk outside, and you can feel the reality of, of the, the demonic realm. And so there's, there's different demonic attacks that are taking place in different communities ar- around the world. Now, thankfully, God's word doesn't stop in verse 12. Hey, it's really dark out there. Have a great Sunday. You know, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so we, we get equipped on how to be able to engage in this spiritual battle. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Do you see the emphasis here on stand? This last word that we focus on in the book of Ephesians, God's saying it over and over in in a few verses. In light of the fact that there is a spiritual battle, take up the whole armor. Use use every piece of, of the armor of God so that you can stand. Do everything possible to be able to stand. So you may be sensing or you may be awakening to the spiritual battle that's taking place in your home, in your workplace, in our community. What's our response to be? Don't get scared. Don't run away. You stand. How are we to handle sexual temptation? Run for our lives. That's what the Bible says. Flee sexual temptation. But when it comes to spiritual battle, we're to stand. We're to stand in our relationship with the Lord and the power of his might and say, say, wait a second, there's, there's division that's happening in my home. I know that I'm not wrestling against my wife. I know I'm not wrestling against my kids. There's division in the workplace. I know I'm really not wrestling against my boss. There's division inside of our church family. I know ultimately it's not just a clash of personalities. I need to engage in this in the, in the spiritual realm. You, you stand, you fight back. God tells us in the book of James to submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Satan doesn't want you resisting. He doesn't want me resisting because he knows he doesn't have the victory. If we resist through the power of God's might, he's going to flee. And so we want to hold on to that promise. Okay, I'm going to stand. I'm going to continue in prayer. I'm going to use the armor of God. And eventually the enemy is going to, to flee. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So now we get into the particular articles of the armor of God. The first is, have your waist girded with truth. We know that Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. He's a Roman prisoner. 
spent quite a bit of time in prison throughout his life. He's got an up-close view of Roman soldiers. There's no doubt he's looking at a Roman soldier, looking at their armor, and then drawing the spiritual application. These are a couple of Paul's favorite illustration is that we're an athlete striving for the crown and that we're a soldier fighting for our general, Jesus Christ. So the Roman soldier, as he would have his armor, would have a good belt, would have themselves girded to be able to hold their sword. All of the armor hinges around the, the belt. When we look at police officers or, or soldiers, they've got good belts. If you're going to carry any type of weapon, you've got to have a good belt to be able to, to hold up that, that weapon. All, all the tools that the police officers need to help keep us, keep us safe. They've, they've got more than the belt that you just buy at Walmart for eight bucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, whoa, that's a, that's a belt. Where do you get one of those, right? And so this is the foundation to the armor of God is truth. To have yourself girded with truth. And this is where we see the importance of, of Genesis through Revelation. Genesis through Revelation. I hope that by God's grace, God has produced a hunger for the word of God in our lives. And don't believe the lie that you can't understand this. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the Holy Spirit is our greatest teacher. And choose to read through a book of the Bible the same way that we study here. Have you ever sat through some of these studies and gone, oh, I could do this, right? I could read this section of scripture, and okay, I, I get what, what the breastplate of righteousness is talking about. I, I get what the sword of the Spirit is, is talking about. And begin to study books of the Bible on your own. Maybe read through the Gospels, read the book of Proverbs, but we really don't stand a chance in the spiritual war unless we're girded with truth. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the sword of the spirit, which is a little bit different application, but this is the, the understanding the full counsel of God. We live in an amazing country where we have the ability to read. We've got the access to God's word. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Access to, to great study helps. And set aside that time to get into the word of God because that's going to be your foundation in this spiritual battle. Satan's tricky. He doesn't come with pajamas, red pajamas and a pitchfork and horns like, I'm the devil, I'm here to destroy your life, right? He comes as an angel of light. He's very tricky. He's very, he's very deceptive. He's going to lie to us. And the way to be able to tell the counterfeit is through the word of God. So first we have our waist girded with truth. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And again, this is daily. This is practical. We want to use this. What's the point of the breastplate for the Roman soldier? It's to protect all the vital organs. You know, if you get stabbed, shot with an arrow in the vital organs, that, that, that's, you're going to have trouble. So the Romans built an incredible breastplate to protect their soldiers. Our modern day soldiers, this is the bulletproof vest, Right? A great invention. It protects the vitals. So the breastplate of righteousness spiritually protects our vital organs, our heart. Our Christian life flows out of our heart. To love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So Satan's going to want to attack our hearts. And one of the primary ways that he does that is through condemnation. God will work in our lives through conviction, but the enemy will work in our lives through condemnation. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night, and he loves to try to convince us, you know, God really doesn't love you. 
Because look at what you just did. You know, the blood of Jesus isn't really enough to forgive you of your sins, right? Here you are trying to grow as a husband, grow as a wife, walk in, in sexual purity, and, and you're, you're lousy, you're, you're terrible. And that's when we need to hold on to the breastplate of righteousness and say, no, wait a second. I know that I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. I know that my heart is protected by the blood of Jesus and to live in that and live in that reality. So there's positional righteousness that we've received. It's the righteousness of Christ. That's what we hold on to. And by God's grace and his power, we desire that there would be more practical righteousness in our lives as well. What do I mean by that? Following the Lord, making godly decisions, right? And as we walk in righteousness, that, that's a protection against the enemy, the breastplate of righteousness, so, so important. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers had great footwear, one of the reasons they were so effective as a world-dominating empire is they made these sandals that allowed their soldiers to march long distances to where that they could come into a community unexpected and have a, a great victory. This morning, you, you shod your feet. There was a little bit of preparation that was taking place in getting shoes on this morning. Sometimes it's a little tricky, like, which shoes do I wear this morning? And then more likely than not, it's like, where are my shoes? Where did, where, are they in the closet? Or are they in the laundry room? Or did I put them in some weird random spot? And that can be stressful, but you find your shoes, you, you, you put on your shoes, you put on your sandals, you're here, right? There, there's probably nobody here that is, didn't wear shoes this morning that's barefoot, except for Donnie. Donnie, maybe, you know, <laughs> our wonderful uh, greeter. But the idea here is as we go through our day spiritually, we put on our spiritual shoes, and that's the gospel of peace. And this practical application is every step that I take while I've got my shoes on is in my sneakers. So every step that I take is in the gospel, the gospel of peace. Is there any situation that I can go through in this life that will take the gospel away from me? No. Is there anything that can cancel out the fact that Jesus died for my sins and he rose again? Does financial difficulty cancel out the gospel of peace? No. So we can go into financial difficulty and say, this stinks. I, I didn't expect this, but I know that I'm God's child. I know that I'm going, going to heaven. You get that phone call from the doctor that says, you know, I can't go over this with you on the phone. You're going to have to come in. And they give you the diagnosis of cancer. Does cancer cancel out the gospel of peace in our lives? No. So every step I take is in the gospel. But also, this means every step I take, I want to share the gospel. I want to be prepared to share the good news with others. I think sometimes we just overcomplicate sharing the gospel. Though there's good strategies and there's good tools and are effective in sharing the gospel... One of the best ways to share the gospel is to simply have a heart that's prepared. Say, God, would you give me opportunities to share what you've, you've done in my life? And as you're talking with people and caring for people and loving people, you're like, wow, here's an opportunity to share Jesus, to share what, what he has done. In Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says that how blessed or how, how happy are the feet of those who bring good news. And sometimes... When you've got good news to share with somebody, can't you just not wait to get there 
and you've got, you've got happy feet, you know? Oh man, I, I, need, I need to go tell them. This, this is great. I got to get a hold of them. And when we share the gospel, we literally have happy feet. Some of the most joyous moments in my life have been just being able to share the gospel with someone that doesn't know Jesus. You walk away from that, you go, God, that was so cool. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to be a part of that. Church, this will change our lives. The simple truth of saying, okay, there's light, there's darkness, there's people that don't know Jesus. I'm getting ready for the day. I'm putting on this pair of shoes. But even more so, I want to put on the gospel of peace. I want to walk through my day knowing that the gospel applies to me and looking for opportunities to, to share it with others. In verse 16, we see a, a priority in this piece of the armor. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So this is emphasized saying, above all else, make sure that you use your, your shield of, of faith. The Roman soldiers also had incredible shields. There would be arrows that would be shot at them and fiery arrows to, to shoot. You know, who came up with that? You know, here's this arrow. Well, what happens if we light it on fire? You know, it's, it had to be a guy, right? Maybe a 13-year-old boy, right? Well, th this is, becomes a more effective weapon. So they designed their shields to be able to withstand these, these fiery darts. And there's times that they would link their shields together when the enemy was coming at them to provide a wall, to provide a barrier. Times that they would link their shields over their heads to provide that, that barrier. We want to take our shield of faith and link it with another brother or sister in Christ. Link it with our spouse if your spouse is, is a believer. Link it with your friend who's, who, who is a believer and saying, okay, the enemy is attacking how does he primarily attack? Through lies, through deception, through the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and division. We're going to trust God. God, you be our defense. We're trusting your character. We're trusting your nature. And that faith in God is what is our protective defense against the enemy. Satan knows this. So when he attacks, he tries to get us to doubt God's character and to doubt God's word. What did Satan do to, to Eve? Satan says, has God really said? Trying to get her to doubt the goodness of God and what he had, had commanded. Do, do you find yourself in moments of darkness questioning the word of God? Is this, is this really important that I live this way? You know, is this really God's best that he gave this person for me to be married to? Is it really God's best that, that I'm single and he's allowed for me to be, be single all, all of these years. And in those moments, we have to realize what's at stake. Everything's at stake. And remind ourselves, I've got to trust God. And what is the anchor to our faith? What's the cornerstone to our faith? It's the crucifixion of Christ. We go, God, if you gave your son to die for me, I know you're good. I'm confused right now. My circumstance, I don't understand. But I know that you're good, so I'm choosing to trust in you. If you know a friend, a family member is going through a difficulty, you sense that they're being attacked by the enemy, get your shield of faith up to, next to theirs and say, you know what, let's pray together. Let's trust God together. Let's be honest about our doubts so that God can work in those. What do you do if you say, you know, I feel like I'm having a crisis of faith? You be honest with God. 
Remember the man in the Gospels that said, Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. There's a portion of me that believes, but yet there's a portion of me that's struggling with unbelief, and God loves it when we're honest with him, saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And then also, we can help build our own faith. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we hear the word of God, as we read the word of God, that builds our faith. Spend more time in the word and and faith will be built. But above all, trust God. Above all, use that shield of faith and that will quench the fiery darts of, of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Protecting the vital organs, the breastplate of righteousness. Then you need to protect the cranium. Amen? The battle is won and lost in the mind. Thoughts are so important. Thoughts eventually will become actions. Thoughts don't just stay thoughts. A lot of times we think, oh, it doesn't really matter what I'm thinking. It's just in my head. No, it matters. Eventually, if it's not corrected here, it's going to come out in our actions. And then our actions become our character, right? The Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This thought doesn't line up with the character and nature of Christ, so I need to be aggressive and take it into prison and replace it with a thought that glorifies the Lord. And that happens through the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation is the filter. It's the protective helmet to say, wait a second, this thought doesn't line up with salvation, You know, those thoughts of despair, that there's no way out. Those thoughts of hopelessness. That doesn't line up with salvation. I know I'm God's child. I know my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I know I'm going to heaven. So I need to let go of those thoughts of despair and hold on to those promises that that God has, has given to me. You know, the enemy comes and tries to get us to think negatively and ill towards another believer. Another believer in our home, another believer that we're in relationship with, maybe even sometimes when you're driving into the parking lot and you just have all of these negative ideas towards all the believers at Rocky Mountain Calvary, right? You're convinced nobody likes me in here and nobody cares if I'm here. Where's all that coming from? It's coming from Satan. And we need to use the helmet of salvation and go, wait a second, this family member that I'm thinking ill towards they're a brother or sister in Christ. My thoughts aren't lining up with salvation. Well, you might be saying, well, they're not a believer. Well, God wants them to be a believer, right? So still see them in the light of the cross. Still see them in the light of, of salvation. We have to use the, the helmet of salvation. Is it any good knowing that the helmet of salvation has been provided for us if we don't use it? You know, what's, what's the point of having a helmet if you don't use it? Okay, moment of transparency. This isn't the best dad move of of mine. But helmets for young kids on bike rides are difficult, right? Because they don't ever like fit right and they they pinch the skin and then they're over here in the garage and they're like over there in the backyard. And it's this big to-do to like every time you ride a bike to get get a helmet on. Do you remember the good old days when we didn't have bike helmets? And you were a kid, and you're like, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Nobody had bike helmets. Like, they didn't even exist. This dates me a little bit, right? You just got on your bike, and, and you went and riding on the cul-de-sac or whatever. So 
there's a big temptation for me as a dad a lot of times to say, hey, don't worry about the helmet, right? Let's just go for a ride and, and, and not worry about it. But that, that's not smart, is it, you know? It's like if there was, there was one accident, I'd be saying, man, we had the helmets in the garage. We should have taken the time to use them. We should have taken the time to, to put them on, and I would feel so much regret, regret and, and remorse. And same with the spiritual helmet. It's no good if it's in the garage, right? It's no, no good if it's in the cobwebs of theology. Like, I know that I have the helmet of salvation. We want to put it on. We want to use it and allow it to be that protective filter for our thoughts. Then we see, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only offensive weapon that God has given to us because it's sufficient. It's the nuclear bomb in the spiritual world. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How is this different than the belt of truth? Is the word sword in the Greek speaks of a small sword, of a dagger. It's the specific, precise word of God that has to do with the struggle that we're in, with the darkness that we're facing. Jesus used this masterfully in Matthew chapter 4. When Satan tempted him, Jesus could have used his deity and overcome Satan. But instead, he relied upon the word of God. He used something that's accessible to us. And he quoted small sections of scripture out loud. And that provided him victory. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't quote all of Psalms 119? Aren't you glad he didn't like quote the whole book of James? We'd be like, that was great for Jesus, you know. He's God. He did something that's accessible to us. He put the cookies where we could all get to them, right? They're not up on the shelf. They're, they're down on the kitchen counter. And he quoted the word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. The lust of the flesh. He combated the the lust of the flesh. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He used short little sections of scripture. He'd been meditating upon the scripture. God's word was in his heart, and that's what he used, the sword of the spirit. And so is the battle anger. Find a few verses on anger. Is the battle lust. Find a few verses on lust. Is, Is the battle despair. And discontentment, find some verses on being grateful and, and being, being, being thankful. Make this practical this week and find two verses that you're going to memorize, that you're going to meditate upon, and say them out loud. Maybe this morning you know that you're in a spiritual battle. Say them out loud. Use the sword of the Spirit and begin to see how God works. And as we rely upon the written word, and we say the word of God out loud, we also rely upon the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ, and come to his throne room and say, Jesus, help me. So maybe it's something like, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God, I'm getting really hot right now. Jesus, I can feel it. Would you please come and help me? And we're going to begin to see God do work in our lives and allow us to live victoriously because we're relying upon the sword of the Spirit and relying upon Christ. Verse 18, it all comes together. This is what makes the armor of God work. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're going through our days with fellowship with God. And as we're in prayer with God, 
God is showing us on how to be able to use the armor that he has provided. Prayer is a weapon as well, and fellowship with the Lord. Prayer expresses humility. When we're praying, we're understanding our weakness and understanding God's power. When I'm not praying, I am relying on my own strength. Maybe I'm not even realizing it. When I'm neglecting prayer, what's my message to God? God, I got this. I I, I can handle this. So we want to go through our days talking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, knowing that he's always with us. It's kind of like that tickle that you get in your throat when you've got a cough. And if you could make a cough drop that actually worked to take care of that tickle, you would be a multimillionaire, wouldn't you, right? But to think of prayer is that way. You know, this, this cough that keeps reoccurring is, I just want to continue to fellowship uh, with, with the Lord. Praying always with all supplication in the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to lead us in prayer. Being watchful with all perseverance, knowing that this is going to be a walk of perseverance and then praying for all, all believers. Paul then asks for prayer in verse 19 and 20. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's in prison and he says, please pray that I would speak the gospel boldly, speak the mystery of Christ boldly. We have to assume the reason that Paul prays this is because he's being tempted to shrink back. Man, every time I am bold for Christ, I end up in prison. I'm tired of how difficult this this makes my life. And he has the transparency to say, hey, would you please pray for me? If Paul can ask for prayer, we should ask for prayer. And he says, I need God's help to continue to be able to speak boldly the, the mystery of Christ. If I were in prison and I were writing a letter, I'd probably say, would you please pray that I get out of prison? This is no fun at all. But Paul realizes that there's a a bigger picture than just his comfort, and that's that in the difficulty that God would provide him opportunity and strength to be able to, to proclaim the gospel. Verse 20, But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Tychicus is gonna bring the letter to the church of Ephesus, and also bring Paul's personal greeting. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. Gives his final greeting. Peace to you, brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, love, with faith, and grace. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Paul began with grace. He ends with grace. Grace is the beginning point, the ending point, and every point in between. Grace is God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor that pours into our lives through Christ. May God continue to be gracious to us in Christ Jesus. Be prepared for battle. Church, be prepared for battle. Being in this battle is not optional. We don't get to choose whether we're in the battle or not. We are in the battle. The question is, are we going to stand? And are we going to fight? Are we going to rely upon the Lord and the armor that he has provided? 
Every piece of the armor is an attribute of Jesus. He is righteousness. He is truth. He is the word of God. And you may or may not remember each specific article of the armor of God, but you know who Jesus is. You put on Jesus. You, you walk in Jesus. You stand in the power of his might. But the word of God, the character of God, promises victory. God's saying, engaging in this battle and the power of his might, you're gonna be able to withstand against the wiles of the enemy. So let's pray together. Father, thanks for reminding us that we're in a spiritual battle, that our lives, our homes, this community, this world, very much is in the midst of a, of a spiritual battle. May we not be afraid, but may we be emboldened through the power of your spirit to fight in this spiritual realm. As we go our way this morning, God, we just ask that we would be equipped to fight. Lord, I know for moms on this Mother's Day that the enemy loves to attack moms with condemnation. I'm sure there's a lot of moms that feel like they're a failure as a, as a mom. And they woke up this morning and Satan is, is bringing their failures to mind. God, I pray you would strengthen the moms, that they would know that they're robed in your righteousness and they would see all the ways that you're using them. So Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.